Welcome to episode 253 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Let's say you're getting ready to buy a new printer. Do you buy the one that's available at Target? Do you first check reviews on Amazon? Have you ever found yourself checking Amazon reviews while standing in Target? Then you already understand why reviews are important. For a book, reviews are social proof that the book truly has valuable content and is easy to read. When someone happens upon my book's Amazon page, I want them to know right away this is a book worth reading. If I just hit publish and don't make any effort to get honest Amazon reviews, the book would likely not get more than 20. There's a difference between publishing and launching. The book will be published before the launch date to give my book launch team time to redownload a reduced cost or free ebook. Reviews are being collected in advance so I can send reminders that week with clear instructions for posting the review on Amazon. All so that on the launch date, October 31st, there will be at least 50 and hopefully 100 Amazon reviews when people not on my launch team view the Amazon page. I can't say enough nice things about my launch team members and their commitment to writing an honest Amazon review in a timely manner. Your challenge this week, are you willing to commit to writing an honest Amazon review in a timely manner? Sign up for my book launch team, robbysamuels.com forward slash book launch. This book will show you how to stop struggling to find an audience for your offers, discover likely prospects from your network who already know, like, and trust you, co-create an irresistible offer, and turn that offer into a profitable new revenue stream. These are the best practices I followed to reinvent my business in 2020 from shuttered to six figures in eight months. Fortunately, I knew how to do this because one of my many hats is that I'm a business growth strategy coach. I've worked with dozens of entrepreneurs on finding product market fit and lead generation with an emphasis on engaging with their existing network. Please join my book launch team, robbysamuels.com forward slash book launch and commit to writing that Amazon review. As a thank you, you'll receive an advanced copy, a PDF of the book, a reminder to download the free Kindle book when it's available on Amazon, access to all the book's resources, starting with the Wake Up Your Network workbook, which you'll receive as soon as you sign up, an invitation to attend a free librarian-led book club discussion, an invitation to attend three free masterclasses, an invitation to attend the book launch debrief meeting, where we'll cover what we did, what worked, and what we would do differently, and of course, my deepest gratitude for your continued support. As you know, or can imagine, downloads and reviews within the first few weeks are critical the success of a book. I believe this book will make a difference for entrepreneurs who are struggling to find an audience their offer. It won't do anyone any good though if no one knows about it. And that's where you come in. Here are some of the reasons you may want to support me and the success of this book. One, you've appreciated and perhaps benefited from my show up and add value philosophy. Two, you're excited about the topic and plan to try out these strategies in your business. Three, you're looking forward to seeing the behind the scenes of a strategic book launch. Sign up for the book launch, 
robbysamuels.com forward slash book launch. I look forward to reading your review. My promise is to support you. Use it the intention to support this book and I will make it as easy as possible for you to follow through with your intention. Thank you for helping me get this book out into the world. Now onto this week's interview. Today's guest has discovered the secret to tapping into your authentic self and turning it into a superpower at work and in life. She has spent the last 14 years traveling the globe, training senior execs and teams from Fortune 100 companies like Google, PepsiCo, Uber, and Disney. She's turned technologists into creative forces, bankers into storytellers, and has brought a serious dose of badassness to boardrooms everywhere. She's a former TV host turned trainer, speaker, and swagger coach. She's the Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestselling author of Swagger, Unleash Everything You Are and Become Everything You Want. Please join me in welcoming Leslie M. I feel like there needs to be like a, like a big round of applause now. That there no, should be something. It's such an I know it's so epic. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage now, Leslie M. And then it's like, like oh, hey Robbie. <laughs> How you doing, yeah. peeps? How you doing, audience? <laughs> Leslie, thanks for joining us from your place in Toronto, Canada. Uh, thrilled to have you here. And as you know, the show, it's about relationship building and networking and, and building community. And the context is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? I think leadership is really about anyone who is in service of growing other humans, you know, who puts their growth before their own growth, but understands how much they're going to grow in the process of doing that, you know? So I don't think leadership is a title. I think that that pure Leadership is an incredible thing. I think there are also people who wait in the wings to get the title who are leaders in their own right. It really is about your your intention. What is it that you want to do for, for other humans? That That's how I define it. I love it. Intention. There's a piece about service there. It's it's um, In some ways, I think you're also giving people some some leeway that you may not always achieve to, to lead. Like, to have oh God, great no. intention, to gather the forces behind you and to sort of move in a direction you think is a good idea. Um, you know, whether it ends up being where you wanted to all end up is, is maybe not the equation. Uh, it's just, did you have that intention? Did you, did you do it in service of others? I love this. And so, I also think that, that it, because of that, the number one quality that you need as a leader is adaptability. Because there's no one way to do it, right? because every individual is different and it's your job to figure out what is going to be best for them. Cause if you're truly in service of their experience, it's not about you, it's about them. So adaptability is absolutely key to that. I love when, you know, when I work with people and I set them up with all this bull crap about what do you think are the top qualities that all leaders need? And people throw out the most lofty, the most, you know, altruistic, blah, blah, blah. And I go, mm -hmm, yeah, maybe, but that might, what if that doesn't work for that person? What if that is, what if that, what if the person doesn't like it or another person does or another person, whatever, I'm like, throw everything you know out and just think about, being able to adjust and adapt to what someone needs from you. That, that to me is the essence of leadership. I love it. I love it. And it's, it's a key piece that I haven't actually heard that many people talk about in this show, which is hard to say five years in that I've heard, I've heard so many definitions of leadership. When did you start to realize you had these, these aptitudes, these skills? I think it was actually 
when I figured out that I didn't have the skills. That was my big aha. Uh-huh. I I am. Um, my background is very weird. And I, I was a musician for many years. I was a TV host, all of these things that are very independent. I mean, you work within a band and within a TV crew and so on, but they're still independent. I didn't work in the corporate world and so on. And then eventually I, I started to work. I worked in communications and, and PR and then, um, ultimately as a creative director. And I came up the ranks very quickly in advertising. I, 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 was hired. I was already older and they recognized that I was someone who had a lot of life experience. And I, I ended up in a leadership role very quickly. And as a result of kind of some of the mindsets around me and also my limited experience in, in leading and managing other people, it was a harsh wake up call, man, because in the ad business, it's very much a meritocracy. You know, if you're good at the skill, if you're a good creative, you end up being creative director, which is a really big mistake because by definition, you've been so internally focused on your own stuff for so long. It's just proof that you've been doing that, that you have those more narcissistic, you know, more internally focused tendencies. So it's a really bad idea, but it's just the way it, it, it works in that industry. And um, I tried really hard to help my people. I understood the per- like what I was supposed to be doing, but I, I couldn't do it. And it was exactly that that led me to leave the ad business. I remember I came home and I said to my husband one day, I said, I feel like I'm using my superpowers for evil instead of good. And I, I can't help my people. I love my people and I can't help them. So I said, I think I'm going to quit my job and start a training company because it seemed to be the most, the most tangible, practical way to be able to help people. And he said, what, but I say, what? you hate training and you're totally untrainable. I was like, right? Who better than someone like me to create experiences? Because if I can, if I can, you know, do stuff for people who are like me, then I'm probably onto something. People who like training will like it. People who don't like training will like it. What I've got nothing to lose. And that's, that's when the whole thing changed for me. And I started to lead from that position and to understand what it meant and become a student of, of leadership. Okay. This is so interesting and fascinating because you're talking about using not your strengths per se, but what some might see as deficits or weaknesses as actually the catalyst for you doing things, not like other people, Mm -hmm. but choosing to do things that will meet the needs of people more like you. Yeah. And I think a lot of people instead reflect on themselves and, and if they see any kind of poor marks, they go, oh, uh, I don't measure up. And so you saw that and thought, I'm going to change the scale. I'm going to find right. a different way to measure up. And well, that's, that's because also that I, I understood what my superpowers were. Mm-hmm. You know, that is really key to this. And just because your superpowers don't fit into a specific box, it doesn't make them any less superpower. It's just, you might have to find a different box or a different context for your superpowers. But the key is to recognize what your superpowers are. Right. And then find out a way to get them appreciated. Yeah. And I mean, everything that's come after that, it stems from that is I understood, I know who I am. I've always known who I, who I am and what, what I can bring to the table. I understand my limitations, meaning opportunities for growth or places I want to grow and other places I'm like, meh, it's not so important to me. I don't really care about that so much. You know, let me focus on the stuff that is important. I don't have to be everything for everyone because nobody can be everything for everyone. 
So like, yeah. why are we busting our butts to try to make that happen? It's not possible anyway. So if you do the stuff that feels good and right to you, you're more likely to, to be successful in that because it feels good. You, you know, other people recognize it. You're in this beautiful paradigm with other people where there's, they recognize the value of what you're, you're, you're bringing and you feel fulfilled because you're, you're giving to the collective. You're, you know, you're contributing to the greater good. There's no better high than that. Is to feel like you, what you yeah. do and who you are is making a difference for other people. You know, it's this, really, is a, it's, this is a very empowered way of living, though. And I, I have to say, you know, you said that very simply, like, I've always known myself. I've always known who I am. And I think that's that's the thing that a lot of people struggle with. I actually want to unpack that a little bit and by, do so by winding the clock back. Because I think, you know, you said you were a little older in that time frame than because you know, you'd already lived, you already do, had already done several other things that were worthy of note. Um, what were you like as a kid? Like, who are you on the playground? Who are you? Did you run for a school office? Did, did the teachers love you? Were you the loner? Like, who were you that you became this Leslie today? I was trouble. I mean, in a nutshell, I was unmanageable, uncontainable, untrainable on like on everything i was a total wild child i was super bright precocious i didn't listen to any rules i really had a problem with authority i got into trouble all the time uh i had really i had a lot of integrity and really staunch values for what i believed to be right and wrong and i did not take kindly to those who did not follow those those black and white rules of kindness and if like a I, I was the kid who would beat up the bully because I had no no time for it. I was not I was not playing that. It, I had a really hard time growing up, really hard time because it wasn't easy to be me. But I couldn't help it. It was I. It's just who I was, and I was very fortunate that I had parents who, even though it was really hard to raise me, kept reminding me that that who I was was a good human, you know, that they, my mother would say, you know, you got to show up exactly the way you are in this world and don't apologize for it. And people will catch up with you and just be yourself. And you're so passionate and you're so creative and you're all of these things. And, and, um, they really, they really, to the best of their abilities for parents, you know, in the 60s, 70s, did their best to not put me in any kind of box. I went to a, you know, a, a, a experimental high school. I did all of those crazy things. You know, I moved out of my house when I was 17. I moved to the UK and started my first band. I was wild, but it was painful because the world spent a lot of time trying to get me to assimilate. A lot of time and a lot of effort. And it was very painful to push back against that. Um, but to, from my perspective, it would have been more painful to do the opposite, to assimilate and to, to, to diminish who I was or to pretend to be someone that I was not just to get people to accept me. So I, there was, I was mad at the world for, for a chunk of time too, because I was mad at them for not, for not accepting me and for not seeing what my intention was and what I was driven by. But I got over it and I, you know, I absolutely followed my own path. Absolutely. Well, and it feels like that all got channeled now in a in a in a way that people can connect with more easily. You mm -hmm. know, now now it's a way that you're showing up in the world still unabashedly Leslie, but others now get to tap into it and 
thrive with you. And those that resist, eh, you don't have time eh, for them. Yeah, I don't have, that's the thing. I mean, I realized when I look back on my, on my kind of life path, I realized that everything that I was trying to do, whether it was being a singer or being a TV host or working in communications or working in advertising, I was looking for a platform from which to communicate. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be able to communicate these ideas that I had with other people because, because of what drives me. I'm so driven by love. I love people and I love their potential and I love the struggle and I, I have so much time for it. I just want to hug the world, you know? And I know that my personal power, you know, my, that stuff, I, I have the strength to, 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 to be able to hold other people in their journey, you know, and contain it and support it and stuff. I, I'm a fierce character. So like when I, when I say, I'm going to take care of you, oh boy, am I going to take care of you? Like nothing bad is going to happen to you on my watch. And so it's taken me this long to really figure out to your point, where to, where to channel it and, and where to, to focus it. But that's what taught me all of these things that happen, all of the challenges, all of this so-called successes or so-called failures, because I don't even, I don't like either of those words. I think they're bull. I don't mean anything. Um, but all of those experiences kind of t- brought me to where, where I am. And I certainly couldn't have r- written the book or certainly couldn't have had the experiences or the insight or the empathy or what, whatever it is to do that without, without having been that rebel, you know, rebel with heart kind of thing. Well, it also sounds like your parents were great at trying to see you and and really appreciate you and tell you that the world needs to do its job to catch up to you and that you're not molding to them. I mean, it's a very, for, for a child who has all that precociousness to have that kind of support, it doesn't mean that it's easy. It just means that you have a place where you can at least start to get a toehold and, and develop into a different, you know, into yourself in a way. I I'm I was curious about this because entrepreneurship is not for the faint of heart, and people have understandings very limited, very romanticized understandings. I actually heard someone the other day. I was just listening to his book about entrepreneurship, and he said, "We all quit our forty-hour weeks. So we can work hundred-hour weeks in in pursuit of freedom." <laughs> and it, um, so. Did you have entrepreneurs in your life when you made this decision to like, you know what, I'm going to do my own training company? Like, did you already know, were you already connected into that space or was this a, a you decided and then you were going to go find your people? Well, my, my parents were, were both entrepreneurs, so um, I never got the message that you got to work for the man. You know, I never heard that. Never heard that you can't make your own your own way or your own path. So I was very lucky in that respect as well. And uh, I, I had been independent in, in my work for so many years. I wasn't afraid of that. I didn't see, I recognized that working for other organizations was false security because a lot of people make that choice because of what they perceive to be security. And I understood it for what it was, that it was, it could be taken away from you at any moment. But if you build your own business, no one can take that away from you so fast. You know, if you're, if you're like stoic and you're, you, you're going to go for it and cling by your, your, you know, your fingertips, then, then that to me felt much more mistress of my own destiny than working for, for someone else. But I, I did, I did capitalize initially. Like I, I thought, well, what, if I'm going to start a training company, I want it to be based on you know, 
skills. It has to be, I don't want it to be like training. I, you know, I learned how to be a trainer and now I'm going to train random things. It was going to be about subject matter experts, helping people to be better at the work that they did the very next day and doing it in a highly experiential, irreverent, but super relevant way. That was my dream for this training company. I wanted it to be human centric first. I wanted it to be for each individual who was in that room. It wasn't going to be the company hires me and now I work for the man. It's like, as soon as that door closed, it was like, okay, here we are together in this room and I'm here just for you. Because whatever I do with you now today, you're going to be able to take with you for your entire career. So that's what I'm focused on. So I, I, based on that, I looked at advertising people first. I was like, that's the world that I, that I knew. Let's focus on them. Uh, And then as I built the competence that, that led to confidence, I started to see that, that, other other communities were interested in this and, and other disciplines and other, you know, other verticals. And so slowly but surely the business built and um, and I built slowly and I built based on this very clear vision that I had for what I wanted to do. Um, and so I brought trainers on who were subject matter experts and I was able to broaden my, my scope. Um, and then you know, people came knocking. I never, to, to my my hand to, you know, whatever nature forces you believe in, I never did any advertising or marketing for the company. It was all word of mouth. So, and that was the beautiful thing. It was like people liked training enough to tell other people that they liked training enough. Yeah. And it allowed this business to just grow. You know, I, re- I remember the day when, when you know, I picked up the phone or, you know, whoever in the office picked the phone and it was like, hi, it's Google. I was like, Oh, hello, Google. Like this was years ago. I was like, oh, hello, Google. Um, so we heard about you. They heard about me. How did they hear about me? Holy crap, you know? And then I ended up doing, developing their global marketer training program and delivering it for four years with a team of people. Like crazy stuff like that. It's crazy. But I think so that's, I think that's about focus, you know? I have a clarifying question. What, what time period are we talking about when the training company got started? Like how many years ago is this? I launched my first, my, the first iteration of it in 2008, I think. Which is what so interesting. Know? Yeah. A lot of people I've interviewed, that's a, that's a big year for entrepreneurship. The world, was, world markets were collapsing and security, like you described, you know, the, the fact that people became aware of the fact that the working for the man was not as secure as yeah. they had once believed. Yes. Yeah, so it was parents. a big layoff year, big layoff year. And so a lot of people were like, let's just do this. Um, so I wanted to ask that. And then my business growth strategist hat like was buzzing a little bit because I want to make sure we pull out of this that you you had an idea of what you knew and you went to the people that you already knew because you knew their problems really well. You knew what you could do to support them. They already knew, liked and trusted you. So you went to your advertising peeps and you got your start there. And then word kind of spread and eventually you probably went to the adjacent markets, right? Like you know, someone moves from one company to another and then they refer you and then they, so over time it, it became a bigger thing. I think a lot of people are, I don't know, is that that tendency to want to be for everyone, right? Like I do training for the masses. I do training for all HR. It's like, that's, that's really broad. So you, you were like, and I think the other mistake is I really want to do it for, I always say like, if I personally desire to work with astronauts, I would have a tough uphill climb. That's not my network. Mm-hmm. I might have a great, a great solution for astronauts, but it would be a while before I would meet anyone who could help me really make that a, a, a thing. 
So going where you already have those connections, those relationships, I think that's something a lot of the clients I work with miss because they're thinking about new. And I've, I was just asking some clients about this. They, they, it's almost like they have past chapters of their life and they close those doors. But you didn't do that. I want to sort of pull that out because that's a, that's a worldview, I think. That's, like a, that's a definitely a way of operating in, in the world that is benefiting you, that you, you took with you. I, I imagine that it wasn't just your advertising friends, but your TV host industry people, right? Like, you know. Well, actually, it was different because I moved from the UK. I lived through the, uh, that was another thing that was weird, is that my network wasn't massive because I'd lived in the UK for 17 years. So when I moved back to Canada, I was already like 35, 36, and I didn't know anybody. I left when I was 19. So I had, you know, I knew nobody. I did a couple of jobs here and there. I was like freelance writing and then went into advertising. So it, I didn't have a big, a big circle or a big, a big network, you know, aside from the people that I met in, in my business. I think, I think it was also that you have to know what your differentiators are. You have to know what you're really good at and you want to put those little pieces of the puzzle together and package it in such a way. So my first training company, for example, was called Three Training. And it was because it was about ideation, collaboration, um, and communication. That's what I was good, that's what I've been doing my whole life, right? It was, I understood how to pitch and sell. I understood how to come up with ideas and package them because I'd been doing that for, for years. And I understood how to work in a group and a team environment because I'd been doing that for years. But on a TV shoot, you know, like on, you know, on a TV set, on a, uh, on a, you know, in a, in a touring band and all kinds of non-con, like non-contextual context. But those to me were my transferable skills and people forget their transferable skills. They say, do I have this box ticking, you know, thing? Like if you know, I'm going to be a project manager, well, do I have my, P you have your PMP? It's like, who cares? You've been running a household of 12 people for the last five years. Plus you have incredible organizational skills. Plus you have, you know, and there's all of these other things that when you put them together, you go, damn, that would make the best project manager ever. Yes, it would. So you have to go and find a way to package that. Like when I walked into the advertising business, I had no portfolio. I had no book. I had no nothing. I talked my way in based on my transferable skills. So, so all of that stuff, when you become an, you know, an entrepreneur, you say, well, what is it that I, that I can do better than anyone that is, is going to be alluring to them? And, and initially it was pitching. Everybody wanted to win the pitch, you know, and people were, when, when I left the, the ad business, people were coming to me and saying, will you join our pitch team? You know, as a freelancer, happened all the time. Like you would, you would help them develop pitch materials, go in and do the pitch, and then bye bye, never to be seen again. That's very common practice in the ad business. And after it happened the second time, I just said to that that agency, "Well, wouldn't it be better if I just taught you how to do what I do?" And it was like, "Would you do that?" I was like, "Hell yeah!" That was my first gig, That's and it, it went from That's there. Right. And then I was said, "Like, can I teach you more? Can I teach more people in the in the agency? Can right. I do this?" And, make you know, an irresistible offer. Make a, make an offer that to them, it's like we'd rather learn how to do this. Of course, like they would never, they wouldn't have thought to ask that question. Way cheaper too. Way I yeah. made it way cheaper for them because I needed to build the competence, right? Course, I needed no to, all, you know, all of that stuff. So I just was like, and also I I knew what I was prepared to sacrifice and what I wasn't. That's very important as well. I wasn't prepared to go into a room and have no idea what I was talking about. I wasn't prepared to do that. 
I was, I was not prepared to lie about my background and my experience. Meanwhile, no one ever asked. I kept waiting for years. I kept waiting to, for someone to say, so what is your professional accreditation in the training adult learning space? Whatever. I was like, because uh, when they do, I'll have to go, um, none. I call it the school of life and whatever. But in 14 years, no one's ever asked me. You know, and now, pff, now it doesn't matter. It's like, who cares? You know, because yeah. I have all of this experience, but no That's one ever right. asked me because I, I made it juicy for them. They wanted it so bad. It was crack, you know? Well, this is interesting because a lot of the people that I know who are really kind of thinking about coaching, um, the first thing they do is go to get certified by one of a number of places. And that's before they know who they want to coach. That's before they know what their topic's going to be. Mm -hmm. That's before they've assessed their transferable skills, you know, and, and the actual certification isn't what's going to get you the client, right? Yeah. Like, oh, and not at all. No, I, I don't have a certificate. I have an MSW. Someone asks me, but I don't know that that's the thing. I, yeah. So you, we were both, we're both doing big, big coaching things, masterminds and all that change people's lives because we can relate to them and because people find what we do valuable. That's so, right. you know, for anyone listening who was like itching to get going, thinking this could be a way to move forward, try it, like put out an offer to somebody and see what they say. I also think that people, you know, this is, this is what I've learned. This is what led me to, to write Swagger. I, I have been, I've trained across the world, all companies, all cultures, all levels, CEOs down to new entrants or whatever. And let me tell you, the universal truth that I discovered was that people do not believe that who they are authentically is good enough to bring them the success that they're dreaming of. They do not believe that they can be who they really are and still find success. It is the thing that holds everybody back because I'm sure so many of your listeners look in the mirror and say, but why would people want me? Why would people want to work with me? What's so special about me? What's so, I'm gonna tell you right now, everything. You are everything. And the, the everything changes what, when you figure that out. Not when you get more stuff, but when you figure out that you are already everything. That is the secret to success. It's my little, my little, if you look at, on my book, you see my little, can you see it in yellow? My little, my little Easter egg that you are everything. Cause people forget, they think that everything comes from the external because they're seeking external validation. So they're waiting for everybody else to tell them that they're good enough and that they have it. And that good girl, you know, you did well and we love you and you're so great. Well, if you don't, if you don't believe it of yourself first, it's a fluke if people, if people think that of you. And, and even more importantly, there's a really good chance that even if people say those things to you, you won't allow it to go in. Right. It won't go into any place that is meaningful for you that will truly fill you up. You know, you got to believe that you are a badass because you are. You so know? when you were writing the book, did you have a particular person in mind or, you know, archetype in mind? Because I think, you know, the best, the best books really are so honed in on who their reader is. Mm -hmm. So who, who's your ideal reader? Who's the person that would like, you know, benefit or just have that, you know, big impact moment by reading this book? Well, because I was, I was working in the, I was going into organizations and training and I, uh, and the stories came from watching them. It, it sort of identified those people who were not, not exclusively, but people who were kind of on their journey to the next thing. They were dreaming of the next level. So it, it didn't matter whether they were, you know, started, they wanted to move from being a coordinator to a manager or, a you know, an associate VP to a VP or people who had 
<clears throat> who had these dreams and aspirations, but believed that they were being held back by things that were external to them. Right? That, that was my, I kept saying to people, no, 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 no. The only thing holding you back is you. And I identified these, these universal kind of blockers, these, these mental blockers that were holding people back. And once people recognized them to, to be true of, of them, they were able to work through them and, and achieve those goals. So there's stories of, you know, there are entrepreneurs in the book. There are a lot of, you know, corporate stories and so on and so forth. But it were those people who were kind of like in the middle place. Although I tell you, I've coached a lot of CEOs, and let me tell you, that C title does not alleviate any of those swagger blockers. You know, mm-hmm. that, this is the human condition. All of that need for validation and all that insecurity, all it is not solved when you get the title or the the letter in front of your name or the dollar figure in the bank. Account. I think it must almost be accentuated for people who have not resolved this within themselves yeah. because. Yeah. They have much further to fall. Further to fall, baby. I was just going to, we would have said that at the exact same time. And they believe that they're going to fall. They believe it's just a matter of time. It's the imposter syndrome is rife. They they believe that they've set themselves up to be this untouchable thing. And if they make a mistake, they're dead. That they can never really show people who they are because people will find them to be fallible and they'll lose credibility. And all of the things that I learned that are, are patently untrue, it's the opposite that is in fact true. Is the more, more, the more authentic that you can be, the more real you can be, the more connected you will be, and the more you will gain followers. Because you can't be a leader without followers, and followers have a choice. They're not dictated. It's not just because you got a title and there's a hierarchy. Those aren't your followers. Those are people who are in a position within the company. But as a leader, you want to generate, you know, followers. And you only do that by making yourself accessible to them as a human being, because then they'll follow you anywhere. You know, if you're for them, they'll follow you anywhere. It's a beautiful thing to watch. Beautiful thing. For you, what was the challenge? You you sound in hindsight, so together about your message. So, right, like it, it's so it's it's so beautifully wrapped up right now, but I can only imagine that the lessons that you're sharing and parting very, you know, with, with such great wisdom mm-hmm. were hard won. So as, was, it, was there a challenge around building the business out? Was there a challenge about your own mindset as you made these shifts in your life? Was there a challenge about finding the right community people to be in? Like, what was the thing that you were like, I've got to move through this in order to really be fully, I guess, giving to the world the way I want to be giving to the world? Yeah, I when, when I, I built my business to sort of this, this place, you know, this, you know, it was it was a good, sort of solid, big six figure business, you know, it was probably you know, maybe 700 grand a year, not a lot of overhead, you know, a couple of people and I was paying a trainer, like a good solid business. And there was a guy who who um, owned an agency who was bringing me into his clients a lot and he loved me and he kept saying to me, um, you know, you gotta make it bigger, you gotta make it bigger, let me help you, let me help you. And I'd had a partner at one point and that didn't last for very long because she was completely useless and I figured that out quickly. Um, and, but he was saying, come on, I'll help you, I'll do all, like he was, He, you know, he was the, the owner and president of this agency and he was a real hustler, like in a good way, hustler. And he said, I'll, you know, help break you out of the, the more agency-centric stuff and I'll do this and I'll blah, 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 and whatever. And I resisted for a year and he kept bugging me and bugging me, make it bigger, make it bigger, make it bigger. And I finally thought, you know what? Why not? Let me try it. But 
I'm going to protect the company that I have and I'm going to start a new entity with him as a partner. And then um, that new entity will hire me from my other company. And we'll, so I'm, I'm covering my butt as we go. And he made all kinds of promises and really pushed hard. He said, you know, Leslie, you're going to be, you're going to remain niche if you don't become more sort of corporate in your approach and more mainstream in your approach and more business centric in your approach and talk more about ROI and talk more about, and on and on and on and on. And I bought into it. I was like, oh my God, crap. Maybe I'll never be able to break into the, you know, the bigger organizations. Maybe I'll always remain niche or that funky kind of boutique agency and everything. And so I listened to him. And within, within a few months, I kind of didn't recognize myself anymore. The messaging on the website, this new website that we created, the, all the, the, the materials that I was creating, he, he like sort of forced me into a few training situations that I, knew I shouldn't be doing and that weren't right. And I weren't, I wasn't going to achieve the goals and they failed miserably as a result because I knew they would. And I found my own swagger was starting to, you know, to, to drain away. Cause I didn't, I was like, who are you? But I was caught up in this insecurity that if I don't do these things that he's telling me I should do, I'm going to remain, I'm going to stay small. And I didn't want to be small, you know? So I let this go on for about maybe about seven months until I, my my soul was aching. I would wake up every morning and my soul was aching. And I did not want to do it anymore. And I sat him down. And, and by the way, he wasn't doing any selling. All the things he promised, these things, I was like, I've sold my soul for nothing. This is ridiculous, you know? So I sat him down and I said, so why did you want to be partners with me? He said, well, I wanted to help you. I wanted to grow. And I wanted you to realize your dreams. And I bought this and I love you so much and whatever. And I said, yeah, so... um." How's that working for you? He was like, oh, you know, he said, am I getting in the way of your dream? I was like, yeah, dude, you really, 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 really are. You know, he's like, oh, I don't want that. I said, okay. And I bought him out and I threw away everything. I threw away everything except for the name of the company. I threw away everything and I started all over again and went, what is the company's called combustion? I was like, what, what is combustion really? completely revamped all the messaging to be true to who I was and everything rolled three training into combustion into this new entity. Cause I was like, I'm, you know, I, I might as well. And that was the beginning of everything within about two months. I got that call from Google. Okay. Wow. I am so glad I asked this question because I could have had coffee with you for the next 10 years, every other day and not gotten to this question, but uh, which is why I love having a podcast. So there is something you said. Um, one, for everyone who's trying really hard right now to make six figures at all, the fact that they now are hearing that people who are making high six figures on a regular basis with low overhead still face, like you said earlier about the whole C-suite, like just because you're in the C-suite doesn't mean you uh, are removed from the, the problems of needing to do more, feeling like you're more, you're lacking. So here you are doing pretty well and there's someone telling you that you need to measure yourself by some other measuring stick. Mm -hmm. And you buy into the idea. Now you protect your company. I really, I love that you did that because you were like, I'm going to hedge my bet and still have complete ownership of this thing that I've already created and developed. And I have like a following on and I'll test something. Nothing wrong with testing. You didn't want to feel like you were diminishing yourself or holding yourself back, like worth exploring. And in some ways you might've been because after you released him 
<laughs> it's kind of what it was, right? You released him. You now had your own motivation to keep growing bigger. You did not have his external motivation. You had an internal motivation. The combustion engine was roaring and Google was attracted in from that. I mean, it yeah. like all kind of came together. Because that was, I think that's what it, what held me back was that I felt like I needed something to take, to, to take that next step to make me bigger. And he was the thing. And what I discovered was that, in fact, I was the thing. He was not the thing. In fact, he got in the way of the thing. And yeah. that when I went, wait a second, wait a second, I'm, I'm going to do this. This is me. I built this up to now and I can continue to build it. It just gave me the kick up the pants to, to do it. And the company, but the next year, the company was seven figures. Like it just, of course it was because it was like, let's go, you know, let's, let's go, let's go get it. And once, once that happened, it, everything was possible. There was, right. and then it was, it was much more about not growing too fast. Then it became not growing too fast because that then I'm sacrificing the integrity that we that we had held on to all the way along, and I and I never grew past that core thing. I still it's still a, it's I would still consider ourselves to be very much a boutique company, you know. And it takes it takes like to onboard a trainer for me. It's like eight months of hell for them. It's you know only the strong survive because I'm like I don't play. I don't just hire trainers. I hire subject matter experts and then teach them how to be combustion trainers. And then comes the pandemic and just you know wipes the whole thing out because there's no you know there was no in person training. So and again, did I want to run a virtual training company? Nope, still don't. Yeah. So I had to be true to that too. Yeah. That's another thing yeah. you got to learn is that things are not always going to go as you planned, but if you compromise your integrity and your, and your values in order to kind of, you know, quote unquote, make it work, it's not going to work. You did say earlier that adaptability was key. Yes. As a leader. So it was, how am I going to make sure that my people are protected? Yes. That was what was important. So I made the decision that I didn't want to really do virtual training. I was doing speaking and coaching, but my trainers still wanted to do virtual so I funneled all the work to them. I made sure that they were safe. And I made sure that I, like everybody was who was on my team who I couldn't pay anymore. I found them all jobs. And the people that I could pay, I paid more. I was like, we just got to keep this, this going until I couldn't pay them at all. But that was, but that's okay too, right? You, everything has an evolution. You know, all of this yeah. happened around the same time that, that, um, that I wrote the book. So it was like, here's the next thing that I'm doing. Right. Here's the evolution. I tend to not fixate um, on the rearview mirror because right. I love change. I love yeah. what's next. I just find it so exciting because life has proven to me that you got no idea, but it's going to be a ride. It's yeah. a ride. You know, I love it. I love it. So let's say we're meeting a year from now. This is my wrap up question. One of my favorite questions that I ask each guest. Um, we're meeting a year from now. And uh, I ask you about, you know, this past year and you start sharing about all of your successes. What are we going to be toasting? What are we going to be celebrating? What are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? Um, I, I truly believe that this book has the power to change people's lives for the better. I really, really, really do, or else I wouldn't have invested the time and the energy um, in doing it. I, uh, in a year from now, my perfect scenario would be that the book has reached, you know, a, a huge audience and that I'm getting that gorgeous feedback of, of how it's impacting people. Um, and I, I want to have more accessible programs based on swagger that I'm not, I'm no longer relying on corporations to, to bring me in and do these programs, but doing it in such a way that it's far more accessible to the individual, affordable and accessible and, and scalable for that. So basically I just, it's the swagger revolution. 
I want to, I want to bring swagger to the world. I mean, I'm, I'm speaking and I'm, you know, I'm on more stages, hopefully on some real stages. Cause that's fun. I like that. I like working a big, a badass stage. I like doing that. Um, so I want to be doing more of that, um, safely and healthily. Um, but, but I, I would love that. So I think it's just, you know, swagger evangelism. I love that's, it. It's not tied to a number. It's not tied to revenue. It's not tied to anything other than legacy work. Cause that's where I am in my life now. I'm, I'm in a place of what am I leaving behind and how meaningful is it? And that's, that's what, the way I make decisions now. Can't wait to celebrate all that with you. So Leslie, how can people find you and follow your work? Um, well, if you want to learn more about what I do, it's lesliem.com, L-E-S-L-I-E-E-H-M.com. You can check out all book-related stuff through lesliem.com or swaggerthebook.com. Uh, you can find the book on all, you know, all book resellers. It's all over the place. And um, follow me on social because I'm a nut, as you know. Robbie knows I'm a nut. I actually, <laughs> I not that long ago, I did a reel about coloring my roots, colored my roots on camera for the peeps and said, the only thing that you should ever cover up about yourself is your damn roots. So I have a lot of fun with that. So you can follow me on Instagram at, at Leslie M speaks on LinkedIn at Leslie M Twitter at Leslie M Facebook at Leslie M speaks. So come and Great. play with me. We will put all those links in the show notes. And I do encourage people to, to find you, follow you and uh, read this book. Congratulations on the success of the book too. That's that's not an easy that's not an easy thing to achieve. So congratulations! I was so excited to be part of your big uh, virtual book launch. I know it's so great to have you there. You gave me such good advice too. You were like my font of all knowledge. I was like, I'm just going to go to the bank of Robbie. Robbie, what should I do? Robbie, what should I do? You were the best. Thank you so much for that. My pleasure. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Big love to you. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Leslie. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share it resonate with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 253. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources in today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which are your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. And don't forget to subscribe for free yourself so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week. We'll interviewing another town professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an awesome week. That's on the schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.